So, um, it is because uh, God is gracious and compassionate, because he is slow to anger and rich in love. It brings freedom for us. And so, um, today, uh, I want to tread lightly, because we're going to go, and I want you to try and go, to the deepest and the darkest corners of your souls. Because what I want us to do today is I want us to engage with our biggest regrets. The things that you have done that most haunt you and that you wish you hadn't. And it's going to be different things for each of us. I'm not talking, we have those kind of regrets, that kind of silly stuff where we said an embarrassing thing and made a bit of a fool of ourselves or, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, that we, we might regret, stuff we're embarrassed by. No, I'm talking about the things that we're ashamed of. The things that we have done and that have happened in our lives that we know are wrong. And, and for some of us, it might be something that's very recent in our lives. But for many, it will be something that is, uh, was many years ago. And yet we still can't get it out of our heart and out of our minds. And we feel that we can't escape. We, we feel we can't escape it. And so, in some senses, this morning is going to be painful because we're going to go to that place. And I want you in your heart and your mind to go to that place. But also, it's going to be full of hope because we're going to go there to shine a light there, the light of the hope of the cross of Christ. This series is Death by Love. It's all about how the cross changes our lives. So, I'm kind of, that's what we're doing. I hope you'll come with me and I want to pray for us. Uh, as we go on that endeavor. These are words of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, it is my prayer that today would be a day of freedom of liberation, of release from captivity. Or the captivity that we carry in our hearts and minds of the regrets of our past. You came to bring freedom, to bring hope, to bring life. Please help us to, to see and experience that today, we pray. Amen. Great, we... Please grab your Bibles. There's red Bibles there that you can open up. And, uh, and we've got a couple of, of Bible readings. Um, I'm also going to put them on the slide here. So the first one is 1 John 4, which is on page 1,227. 1,227. 1 John 4, verses 9 to 10. <clears throat> This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The second reading is Romans chapter 3. It's page one thousand. 130. 
1130, Romans 3, verses 25 to 26. It's right at the bottom of that page. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's God's word for us. We'll come back to it later. Let me introduce you to Megan. Megan is a Christian, but she lives every single day with regret. Because she can't escape the past and what she has done. Every day she remembers the child that she would have had had she not aborted it ten years ago. Megan fell pregnant at 17 from her boyfriend at the time, but nobody else knew about it because she grew up in a morally conservative uh, Christian family, and so her parents and most of her friends didn't know about her boyfriend, let alone the lifestyle that she was leading as a 17-year-old. And she remembers the host of emotions that washed over her when she discovered she was pregnant. She was shocked and confused. She was fearful and lonely. And so she, she kept it to herself for a few weeks. She was scared. She didn't know what to do. Eventually, she told her boyfriend. And he was very angry as he reacted. He said, well, you've definitely got to get rid of it, haven't you? At first, she wasn't sure. She didn't like the sound of that, but she was in such an emotional state. And he persuaded her it was the best thing to do. She didn't want to ruin her life by having to look after a baby so young. So one week later, she attended the clinic, and it was done. Nobody else knew anything about it. And she just wanted to move on. The thing is that she knows it was wrong. She knows that the value of an unborn baby isn't determined by what its parents think about it and whether they want it or not. And although she felt pressured into it, she knows that she caused great harm to that baby. And it was not a fair decision to take its life away. She's never felt easy about it. But you see, she's never spoken to anyone about it. Her relationship with her boyfriend was over a few months later. And to be honest with you, he could just move on with his life and carry on. It wasn't a big deal for him. And now she's too ashamed and she's too scared that others will judge her and they will reject her. And she, she's kind of hoping that it will fade with time. But it hasn't yet. The years are rolling on. And so every day at some point she thinks about the child and what may have been. And each year, she lights a candle on what would have been the child's birthday. Occasionally, she has these nightmares that she can't seem to get rid of. And she feels that she can't forgive herself. So when stuff goes wrong in life, she wonders if God's angry of her, and he's kind of punishing her in some way for this this great and, and evil thing that's happened in her past. And to her, something feels good and right about feeling bad about it, like she has to punish herself, like she deserves to be miserable. Because it feels like she's committed an unforgivable sin and she can't move on. She can't forgive herself for that. That's Megan. How does the cross 
of Christ changed this situation for her. Now, that's what I want us to explore today, and therefore also explore how it changes whatever our situation is. It may be that, it may be something similar. Before, before we explore that, I'm aware in kind of um, raising and using um, as an example uh, an issue like uh, abortion, I'm not going to be able to deal with, 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 with that and, and, and uh, all of the issues and the rights and wrongs of that today. If you've got questions about that or you want to talk about it, I, I would, I'd be very happy to, to sit down and talk. And later this year, we will be looking at it again on a Sunday um, and addressing it a bit more directly. But today is pastoral advice for us in our, in our situations of deepest regret, in those things that we've done wrong that we most wish we hadn't, and the difference that the cross of Christ makes. So Megan would say, I can't get, forgive myself for that. I can't forgive myself for that. And to which the cross says, Jesus is my propitiation. Jesus is my propitiation. You see, this is uh, death by love that we're looking at. And every sermon in this little series is about the atonement, how God, uh, how we are made one with God, imperfect people and a perfect God, how our relationship is restored by the cross of Christ. And we're taking a slightly different perspective on that each week. And what we're seeing is actually, and the difference that makes in our life. But all of these different perspectives are very intricately connected, aren't they? And so, so we're seeing some similar things, and, uh, and we're seeing the way these things work together. And today, when we think about this word propitiation, don't worry, I'm not expecting that any of us know what I'm talking about there. We'll come to it in a moment. But we're focusing on something that happens with God. In actual fact, this is, this is a definition, if you like, to, to help us to, to start to get it. Propitiation is God making himself favourable to us through Jesus satisfying his right and good anger for sin by his death on the cross. It's God making himself favourable through the sacrifice of Jesus, absorbing all of God's good anger at sin. Now, the reason we aren't familiar with the word propitiation and we don't know what it means is because what's happening, it's a bit unfair. People who have produced the English verse in our Bibles have basically taken the word out to try and help us to understand it better, which kind of ends up making it a bit harder when we, when we have to do something like this. And so actually, this word was in the two readings we just had, although we wouldn't have realized it. And I'll show you that, um, show that here. Often it's translated as atoning sacrifice or sacrifice of atonement. Jesus is my propitiation. So here we are, in the Romans one, it says this, God presented Christ as, actually, a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And in 1 John, God sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. These words, atoning sacrifice, sacrifice of atonement, make atonement uh, are different ways in the New Testament that this word is translated Basically, it is this. It is a gift that turns away anger by covering over sin. A gift that turns away anger by covering over sin. And you'll be familiar with the idea. If you think of the kind of ancient pagan religions and most modern Eastern religions as well, where you've got this whole host of gods. And the way that people get favor with those gods is by bringing gifts to them. And so people have these shrines and these rituals. And what they do is they come and they, they bring their, they offer food or, or they bring money or give possessions and leave them at these shrines or, or sometimes they burn them in, in rituals. 
And they're giving these things to the gods in order to get the favor back from the gods. So if you want a safe journey, you go through a certain process and give something to a certain god to have a safe journey, or, or for a blessed family life, it's something else, or for good health, another thing. It's a gift to win favor and avert any anger for wrongdoing. Basically, you're bribing the gods to be kind to you. I'm giving you something, and you give me something back. So it's the idea of that gift that wins favor. Now, the Bible has that idea, but it's very different to that whole um, idea of how it works out in a lot of those other religions. Because it's not that God is unreasonable and God is sulky and God is bloodthirsty and he could fly off the handle at any moment. And you need to kind of placate him by giving your gifts of devotion and a good moral life and, and, and your money and whatever else. If that's what people think of Christianity, totally misunderstood it. No, God is a good God. A good God who cannot stand evil, who cannot stand sin and wrongdoing. And so in his love, he deals with his anger and his hatred for that. Once and for all, by his own suffering and death on the cross. And through that, he extends his love to us. It's a very different understanding. Now, this was, if you like... um, illustrated uh, for God's people before Jesus in this festival that they had. This Jewish festival called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And what it was, it was an annual celebration each year where they uh, celebrated how an imperfect people could be at one with God, atoned, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the attention of, uh, of, of the whole nation zoomed in Firstly, it zoomed in on the place of the meeting with God. If you like, it's the tabernacle, or or later on, it's the temple. Uh, And came to that place, and then zoomed in even further uh, into what is called the Holy of Holies, which was this part of this temple, where only one day a year, and only one person, the high priest, could actually even go into that place. It was the place that represented God's presence with his people. And then in even further to this, this Ark of the Covenant, this wooden box that sat in the Holy of Holies, kind of overlaid with gold. This box that represented God's promises to his people, the thing that really, they kind of knew that God was with them. It contained various things in it. One of the things it had were the stones with, 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 with the Ten Commandments written on, the law of God written on. And then even further, their attention was drawn in to the lid of the box. You see it there with these kind of, um, these kind of angelic um, type creatures with wings. This gold lid called the, aton- <clears throat> the atonement cover. And symbolically, that place over the lid, if you like, was the very place of the meeting with God. Now, this is significant because propitiation basically means lid or covering. It's the atonement cover. It's the place of propitiation. What would happen on this this day of atonement is that God would be propitiated. God would be made favorable. His anger would be turned away through a gift. And the gift was two goats. One was called the sin offering goat, and the other one was called the scapegoat. 
Uh, and the sin offering goat would be slaughtered as its life was given as payment for sin. Uh, and the high priest would take the blood from that uh, sacrifice and that offering and would go and sprinkle it on the, ark, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark which contains God's perfect law, which his people have broken, is now covered in blood. It's a covering of sacrificial blood. And then the high priest would go to the scapegoat and he would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat. And as he did it, he would say the sins of God's people. And the message was this, is as he did that, the, the sins were being transferred from the people to the goats. And then that goat was released to go and walk out into the wilderness to wander far away. So there their wrongdoing and their sins have been covered by the blood. And now their sins are sent far, far away. So the goats depicted this to God's people. Your, your wrongdoing is covered by bl- the blood of the sacrifice and, and your sin has been removed far from you. God is favourable to you now. He's been propitiated. Your sin has been atoned for. You can imagine, can't you, how, how being one of those people there, how you would feel um, at the end of that whole ritual, and they wouldn't have been able to see it all because lots of it happened in, 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 inside the temple, but knowing that's what's happened. And, and then you, they would have seen the goat the, the, the kind of wandering out into the wilderness, representing your sin, and you're literally seeing your sin being taken far away from you. It's gone. Well, later in the Bible, in Hebrews 9, the writer says, Jesus' death is that, is the fulfillment of that whole thing. That tells us what Jesus' death is like and what it does. When Jesus dies on the cross, our sins are covered by his blood. And they are taken and removed far from us. As we sang, as far as the east is from the west, that's from the Psalms. Our fire's taken our transgressions. That's how wrongdoing our sins from us. That's what Jesus' death does. And so God is now favourable to us. Jesus is our propitiation. You see, Megan has two issues that I think are stopping the power of that impact her life. Particularly as she, she thinks about her abortion. The first issue is this, that she believes that what she has done is unforgivable. I can't forgive myself for that. She thinks it's unforgivable. And the second one is this, that she thinks it's all about her and in some way she has to punish herself to make stuff better. She thinks she needs to punish herself to make stuff better, her stuff better. I want us to see how the fact that Jesus is her propitiation deals with both of those things. And also for us, we just feel that we can't find forgiveness for our deep sins. So here's the, here's the first kind of way this changes things for us. I have forgiveness and favor in God. See, Megan feels all kinds of regret about the abortion, and she thinks it's just too serious a mess up to be forgiven. 
The thing is, it gets worse for her before it gets better. And for us too, when we think about our regrets, because our biggest issue is not just the wrong that we've done. Our biggest issue is the hurt and the offense that causes God. You know when you've done something wrong to a friend, and, um, and to resolve that, you don't just need to sort, solve the problem. So say you've broken, they've lent you something and you've broken it. You don't just need to either replace it or get it fixed. That kind of deals with the problem in one sense. But you've also got to deal with the fact that you've hurt them and you've offended them. You've got to say sorry. You've got to, there's got to be some relational restoration. Part of the problem there is, is in them and the hurt and the offense that's been caused. Well, listen, the Bible describes all of the wrong stuff that we do as being against God. Every harsh word I have spoken to another person, every destructive act against myself, every neglectful act of our world that God has given to me. The stuff that I am most deeply ashamed and regretful of, and you too. First and foremost, that is against God. The God who made you, the God who made every person, the God who made everything. Inflicting damage on any of those things is against God. We see that with King David. Some of you know the story, but he had pretty much, as a king of Israel, sinned against everyone and anyone in a whole multitude of ways. He was just up there with the worst of sinners, and he writes this poem and he says to God, Against you, And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. See, the wrong stuff that you and I do is against God. And the second thing is that in God's goodness and his purity, he responds to that evil and that wrong with with a distaste and a revulsion. It's like if you've ever put something in your mouth thinking that it's going to taste good, but actually it's, it's gone off or, or it's moldy or it's bitter, and you just, you're just going to retch and spit it out. It's just repulsive to you. It's this instinct you have to it. That is God's response to wrong. The Bible calls it his wrath. It's his, it's his right and good anger against evil and those who do it. You see, God will never get used to stuff that is wrong and evil. He won't just put up with it. It's an offense to him in his world. And with people who is made in his image. Because of such sin and brokenness and wrongdoing. You see, we need to see this. We need to see that God is not happy about abortion. God does not approve of it. It provokes him to anger as do all of the wrongs that we each commit, the things that we're thinking of, whether it's that or something else. And so we start by feeling a whole lot worse. You think, well, not only can I not forgive myself, but you're saying I've offended God as well? Part of the problem is in God, and that needs to be resolved. And that's where the beauty of propitiation comes in where the beauty of it comes in because God resolves that very problem you see Megan is not under God's anger but his favour let's just read again if you've got it, um, Romans 3 1, 1, 3, 0 um, I've, I've, yeah, I've got it up here as well 
God presented Christ as a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And it goes on, so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, Paul is saying God presented Jesus as a propitiation so he might justify people who have faith. We saw, didn't we, a few weeks ago, justification is where we find favor with God. In Romans 5, we saw that image of kind of the showers of God's favor uh, and grace on our life. How do we get favor with God? Well, propitiation is the way that God does it. And, and propitiation is something that happens in God, therefore, and not in us. It's not that God changes from being angry to loving, but it's in the cross of Christ he finds a way for both his pure and good anger and also his perfect love to be expressed. You see, what happens is that all of God's anger is channeled to Jesus where it is fully satisfied once and for all. There his anger ends and stops because it is taken. For those who trust in Jesus, God lovingly pours out his wrath, his anger upon himself and the person of his son. Takes it all. Stops. At the same time, he expresses his love. And all of his love is channeled to us. And his love continues to flow to us from the cross even today. Keep just receiving from it. That's why John says the cross of Christ is how God shows his love to us, among us. In actual fact, he says that's how God defines his love. See what this means for for Megan and and for you? When you think about the deepest regrets and the worst wrongs, if you're a Christian, it means this. It means you can forgive yourself because in the cross of Christ, God has forgiven you. If God's forgiven you, then do you not think you can do that? God has now nothing for you but loving favor. See, through the cross of Christ, God dealt with his offense at your wrongdoing and he is now favorable to you. So it's not that stuff isn't a problem, but it's more that it's been dealt with, it's been covered by blood. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so don't hold on to what God has released you from. Don't, if you don't feel that you can forgive yourself, you need to say, look, God has forgiven me and that is truer and better. I'm going to believe that. That is better. So the first thing was that she didn't feel she could forgive herself. The second one was she has to punish herself. And this is what we need to see. We have a peace offering from God. See, like, uh, if you have a conflict situation and, and you need to move someone from being angry with you to being favorable, to be cool again together, Often, a gift is offered as some kind of peace offering, right? So we've, um, this, uh, this is an example, we've had a few issues uh, over the last few weeks, some of you know, in our relationships with, with the owners of the youth centre here. 
um, they've been frustrated with, with, with some of the stuff that, that's happened and, and that we've done. And, and so what we've done is we haven't only just tried to resolve those problems they have and, and take care of those, but we also bought them a gift and a card and said, thanks for letting us use uh, the building and we're sorry for the issues. It's, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a gift to bring favor and peace, to be a peace offering. Get the relationship back on good terms. Let's look at, um, at uh, 1 John 4 um, on page 1227, but again, it's on, on the screen. Now, just as we read this, think, who's doing the lev- heavy lifting here? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Who's doing the the heavy lifting? Who's showing the love? Who's sending? Who's providing the gift to propitiate? It's God, isn't it? God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the cross of Christ is a peace offering to restore our broken relationship with God. A peace offering that puts us back in his favor. It's not an offering that we bring, is it? It's an offering that God provides, that he offers. The offended party bringing the peace gift. So different to those kind of pagan gods of the other religions and whatever who kind of angrily demand the followers and worshippers to come and and give some stuff of value and substance and worth. Make great sacrifices to placate them. And so often we we think of God like that. It's kind of how I think Megan's thinking of God in some ways. I've got to punish myself for what I've done wrong. I've got to make myself miserable. And, And maybe that will be enough of a sacrifice that can make up for it. As if by kind of the sacrifice of my life being totally miserable all the time is, is going to make that better. Well, no. It's God that makes the sacrifice of sending his son. It's God that offers the gift. And Jesus comes and dies. And his death is a peace offering between us and God. So, so what does that mean for, for Megan and for us? I think it means this. We don't have to punish ourselves. Think about what we're saying when we, when we say we've got to punish ourselves to make up for our wrongs or we don't often say it like that, but we live like that sometimes. What we're saying is Jesus' death on the cross doesn't cut it, can't do it. Saying what I've done is too great and too bad that that cannot solve it for me. I've got to add something to get peace. We're saying that the death of the Son of God in our place is not big enough. It's not good enough for us. I want to humbly suggest that however great and however terrible your sin is, however much there is in your past that you regret and you wish you had not done, the death of Jesus on the cross is worse. It is worse, isn't it? Perfect Son of God the one in whom the Father has delighted for all eternity, who has loved, being cut off 
being forsaken in death. That's terrible. That goes deeper than even my wrong. You see, we can have too small a view of the cross, too small a view of what it can do and how much it can achieve. It really is that bad and that big and that horrible to cover my sin and to cover yours. And so what we need to do is we need to believe that and we need to to receive that. We need to not punish ourselves for our wrongs. We need to say, no, Jesus has already been punished for me. His death is a sacrifice that brings peace. I wonder if you can uh, borrow this, this kind of idea. If you think of the, of, of the Israelites, as they, as they stood there and they saw that goat kind of bleating and marrying and kind of walking out into the wilderness. It's a real visual image for them, wasn't it? To see their sins, that carrying their sins far away. I wonder if in your mind's eye it's helpful to picture Jesus walking up the hill of Calvary and carrying on his back and in his wounds your sin. Carrying them up that hill to that cross. Taking it there where it is nailed to the cross and it is dealt with. It has been taken from you and it is never to be seen again. It has been taken far away into death and Hades. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been taken away from us. That is true. We need to believe that. And we're going we're gonna to respond to this. We're going to, I guess, process this by sharing the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to do that whilst, we, whilst the song plays in a few moments. And if you like, like Israel had uh, this Day of Atonement as this kind of visible representation to them of, 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 of their restored relationship with God and, and God's anger at sin being dealt with. But we have something visible that we can touch and taste that is a, a, a reenactment and a representation of that reality for us. And, and so in taking this together, we're saying, my sin it is so great that I cannot forgive myself for it, but I know that Jesus can. I put my trust there. I believe that. I think that's true. I say, by faith in his cross, I know I'm forgiven, and I know that God is now favorable to me. It's a faith meal, right? I wonder, I, I suggest that today, I think often, and there's good reasons for this, where as, as we share this together, we, we maybe think of, our, of the wrongs in our life at the moment. We might think of today and this week, and, and, the, and the things that we've, we've done wrong. I, I want to suggest, you, you may want to do that, but maybe also, Whatever it is you've been thinking of as I've been speaking, when I, when I said, what's your deepest regret? Worst wrong you've committed in your life? I wonder if it would be really helpful to keep that in your mind as you come. And, and, and keep that in your mind. And, and as you eat the bread, know that his body took that for you, took that from you. And as you drink the wine, you know that his blood covers over that for you. So in your heart, try and let go of it. Try and be released from it. Maybe your prayer will be one of the courage and faith to hold it no more. To believe this is true, that God would help us to know his forgiveness and his favour. Listen, if your faith isn't in Jesus, then therefore this isn't for you. But here we're desperate for you to put your faith in Jesus if you have not done so yet. 
desperate for you to do that. So I'd ask you to just stay seated as you listen to this song and think about these things. Think about what they may mean for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and, uh, and then as the song plays, and, and just in your own time, feel free to come uh, and share the Lord's Supper. Lord, I thank you that where uh, we have not been able to forgive ourselves, you have come and offered forgiveness in Christ. Thank you that however deep our sin goes, your grace and your mercy go deeper still. Thank you that this table is an invitation not for the the good and the well and those who've got it all together to come, but it's, it's an invitation for the weak and the broken and the repentant and those who are struggling to let go of the guilt of their sin to come to find grace and to find mercy and to find help in our time of need please by your spirit would you work in us as we share this work in those deep and those dark corners of our souls shine the light of your grace and your love and your favour, we pray. Amen.